<laughs> I love that intro so much. Let, shall we play it? Let's play it. Yeah, please. Put your hands together for the next morning program with your host, Nam That's the best intro ever. I've been jealous of that intro. Since he I tries to get me to do that for him. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome everyone to the Late Morning Program with Namras Podcast. This is episode 39, Making Bhakti uh, Accessible with Kastuba Prabhu and Raghunath Prabhu from Wisdom of the Sages. Uh, dear friends and uh, devotees of our, our community here in New York and New Jersey, thank you for, for joining us, Prabhu. It's a pleasure, pleasure to be here. Awesome, awesome. So, uh, let's. How are you guys doing so far? How, how's every, how's COVID been? How's everything been? Uh, you want to start, Rogu? Uh It's been incredibly uh, emotional. Took a toll on. It took a toll on emotions, family dynamics, but have been incredible and horrible. If you want to know the God honest <laughs> truth, because right. you know, basically my income stopped. Um, right. For the most part, which I make my money by traveling pretty much every weekend, right? And so, sort of things sort of game shut shut down. Um, I was blessed that we started our podcast, and it really um, we're going to get into that. Yeah, it got us really focused on hearing the Bhagavatam every day. And even if I don't want to, or I don't feel like it, or I'm exhausted, or I had to stay up late the night before, there's like an accountability because there's a community waiting to hear it live every day. So it gave, gave me the opportunity to take shelter with the Bhagavatam and sort of just like ride this stuff out. And it's, it's very tricky with children. Um, yeah, yeah. Our children are homeschooled, except my daughter for the first year went to a private school, which is like sort of ridiculous because the private school is all at home now. <laughs> it's like I'm paying for private school and right. it's at home. And the kids, the younger kids have these very cool homeschool pods which are done with a lot of homeschooling parents in, in them. It's like a, literally in the middle of the forest. And that has been sort of like super cool for them because I, I really think the children suffered tremendously yeah. um, with the lockdown, especially with the, um, you know, there's this other cost as well as American businesses, including mm -hmm. my own business. And there's other costs with this as well. So um, it's been super emotional and uh, I'm lucky to have the company of devotees like especially Kostuba and the whole Wisdom of the Sages community. Right. That's Thank how you. it's been. <laughs> Kostuba, how has it been how's it been for you? You know, I don't I don't want to sound insensitive because so many people have suffered tremendously, you know. Um but kind of it's, you know, it's been like I don't want to say but it's kind of been kind of good for me, you know. Mm. In the sense that um it's been a quiet time in the city, you know, I, I live in Manhattan, so it's been quite a quiet. Um, it, it's, I've, there's some great deals on apartments. So I got an apartment that I never could have gotten, you know? Really? Oh yeah. That's awesome. And not only me, like everybody's doing it now, you know, it's like yeah. a lot of devotees are finding new places and, um, but you know, I miss being with the, with the devotees. I haven't been in the for sure. Yeah. I mean, for, for nearly a year now, you know, Thursday night kirtans, I miss seeing you there. I miss seeing so many. Yeah. Kirtans, when they start up again, uh, it's going to be, it's going to explode. It's going to be crazy. <laughs> um, so, so let's just get into it. Like, so you guys have this really successful podcast called wisdom of the sages. And basically you are reading from Bhagavatam and discussing Bhagavatam with like hundreds of people every single day. And I think that's so 
uh, unprecedented and also really amazing. So I'd like to hear more about it. Can we? Can you just start out by just telling us a little bit, like, how did you start out? You know, whose idea was it, and how did it all begin? Want to take um, it? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, um, I live at Super Soul Farm, and um, there was a, a, a young man living here training to be a monk. So every morning we'd read together. Um, and, uh, some other local students would come and we'd have morning reading at 5 AM and we just read from different random books, uh, and, uh, you know, on Krishna consciousness. Then I went to India, uh, a couple years ago and, uh, one of our good friends, uh, and teachers, inspiring lady, Lila Vilasini, we were all sitting at Govardhan Hill one day and she, I don't know if you know Leela, but she's incredibly she's great. Yeah, she's I one of the her, very yeah. few people that I shut up around because <laughs> I notoriously have a very big mouth and do most of the talking. But around Leela, I just shut up and listened to her. And then she she sort of snapped into this mood of chastising all of my students, like 17, 17 of my students I was taking on Govardhan Hill. They didn't really even know her. And she started chastising, going up to each one. We were at some Bridge Bossy's house. And we are all having lunch. And she started yeah. going to each one. Are you reading the Srimad Bhagavatam? And they were like, uh, no. You know, my students are sort of, a lot of them are sort of new to Krishna consciousness. Yeah. And she was, it was almost embarrassing. It ever introduced somebody to a devotee and the devotee embarrasses you in front of like, it was like, I was like, what is she doing? She's so cool. Right. And she was like, I was really getting upset. Like, why is she doing this? And even one person was like, yeah, well, we read the Srimad Bhagavatam. And she was like, how often do you read it? <laughs> and I was like, oh, man. <laughs> and I walked away from that, like, really upset with her. Like, really upset. Like, what the heck is she thinking? Like, trying to blow out blow out all my students. You know, they're mm. at Govardhan Hill. They're taking Prashadam. They all chant Japa. Why is she getting on their back? So I just sort of, like, filed that. And then I came home, and I ran into Kostuba. And Kostuba's like, hey, you know what we should do? I've made a commitment to read the Srimad Bhagavatam every day. And, you know, we should do it. You know, if we can go through the Srimad Bhagavatam, and, you know, we can finish the entire Bhagavatam in like, you know, sit, you know, whatever, a year. Because yeah. Stuart broke it down to some like formula. Half hour, you get this much done, you know. Right. And then we can read it like how many, how old are we? We can read it a few times in our lifetime. And I was like, you know, it's, it's weird because Leela Villasini just like went into this whole rage about the Srimad Bhagavatam. I go, mm -hmm. I do reading anyway every morning. So maybe I should just read the Srimad Bhagavatam. We'll just jump on it. And, you know, since I travel a lot, I have a lot of students who sort of, they get inspired by the class, but then they, I never see them for another six months or three months. Right. Why not just do it live on Zoom? And so that was a good excuse. We That day we got back home, we decided to do live on do Zoom to like 10 of my students. Wow. And it started doing regularly. And um, and then I tell Kostuba, hey, you should just jump on. We're doing it. We're still doing the Bhagavatam. We're doing it every day. And so he occasionally would listen. And then I'd say, hey, Kostuba. What do you think? Uh, you know, give us some of your insight and then we'd share. And because I tend to be a little nuts and over the top and loud, Kostuba is very sort of like very straight and very like um, on target. So we sort of have this Abbott and Costello thing where we balance each other out. Great. Pretty nicely. And so after, after a while of Kostuba joining on, people are like, oh man, I love how you invite Kostuba. You guys are such a nice balance together. And we started hearing that again and again. So that was like sort of, we started from February that year. And then in uh, right when 2020 started, we decided, you know what? Let's just do this as a podcast. Mm. 
And when the pod and we happened to be in India for that podcast because we went and started our training at the Govardhan Eco Village. And so that was our very first one at the Govardhan Eco Village for a month, practically speaking. And then we took a group on pilgrimage for a couple weeks. And so that's how the podcast started with Radna Swami, with all the students, which is about 50 students from the training. And it went on like that. And it was, it was fun. It was sort of exotic being in India. We tried to do it every day. And then um, we're still trying to like figure out who we were, but we had it all in line already. And now it's a podcast where people could listen to back episodes. Right. And then I, while on pilgrimage, I got this random text message from uh, Joe Rogan, who I was an old friends with who happens to have right. the biggest podcast in the world. And he's like, yes. hey, um, I really want to catch up with you. I would love to have you come out to L.A. and interview on the show. And I was thinking, oh, wow, this is so random. And I was <laughs> like, and, and in Christian consciousness, we know that random is never random. That There's always a divine hand behind everything. Yes. And then I started thinking, well, I don't want to debate Joe Rogan on on his podcast. I was like, do you want to debate me? He's like, no, no, no. I really want to know about your spiritual journey. I think it's really interesting. And I right. think all my audience would like to know about that. So I was thinking, man, if Joe contacted me three months earlier, you know, we didn't have the ability to funnel people to our podcast because we were just running on zoom and the, and the, and the classes were basically deleted after each episode. But now because I mean, cause Stuba had this in place, it just was so nice. People could listen to back episodes. It spiked our listenership, and it re and it really helped. So, um, yeah, it it just worked out, and and we sort of been in, in rolling from there. It was it, it was really great, and um, we're just sort of like figuring sort of figuring it out as we go. Because, do you want to add anything else to the to the backstory? No, I think you got it. Y you know, I want to talk a little bit about the evolution of both of your sharing Krishna consciousness and bhakti yoga with with everyone with the listeners because I know Kastuba Prabhu you started out as a, a like a monk and you were a book distributor for many years and then you kind of worked your way you know as the you know head educator of the bhakti center and then now you are you know fully with this um, podcast tell us a little bit about more about that journey like so your your beginning basically uh, how you kind of got involved in spiritual life and then Onward. How I got involved was um, both Raghunath and I were involved in the hardcore music, you know, uh, right. punk underground, hardcore punk rock scene uh, in New York City when we were kids. So it's like when I was since I was like 15 years old, I was kind of in, in the Lower East Side and into that whole. And, uh, you know, maybe some people don't know about it. Some people do. I, I don't know how much we want to get into it, but it was kind of a crazy world. Um. Mm -hmm. It's just crazy enough to allow Krishna consciousness in it, I suppose. And Krishna so, consciousness um, was just one of the other aspects of the crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it sort of blended in. And so, um, a group of my friends who were really influential in that scene. Um, people know the Crow Mags and a lot of people right. around them. They, they were they were my friends when I was a kid, and they got into they got into Krishna consciousness. Um, through meeting a few devotees and reading the books and devotees used to come to CBGB's, which was like one of the main clubs we used to hang out at and distribute Prasadam. They used to distribute Prasadam at uh, Tompkins square park, which, you know, that was our, that's where we hung out was, right. you know, on that block all the time. And uh, so there was, a, there was always an exposure to devotees. Uh, but I suppose as I, um, 
I, as I just got a little bit older in my later teens, I started to, my spiritual interests kind of developed more. And through that association with those people, and, and you know, I, I uh, this past week I did an interview with um, Chaitanya uh, Charan, you know, the, the monks podcast. I, I spoke. Yeah, with yeah, yeah, I saw that. But um, th this is one point I think worth resharing that I shared there is these these friends of mine, they were like as just like heavy street kids as you're going to meet, you know, like from very young into violence, into drugs, into just wildlife, you know, just super wild. Um, uneducated, you know, they'd all dropped out of school, you know, as kids and everything like that. But they were reading Prabhupada's books and hearing from devotees, and they were articulate when it came to speaking about spirituality, when it came to speaking about vegetarianism, when it came to speaking about reincarnation, you know, all of the... the they were empowered preachers. They like were empowered, empowered yeah. Empowered preachers. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Like tagged by Krishna or Lord Chaitanya to do, to do some great things in this world. Yeah. And so, you know, growing up there, you know, you were always hanging out outside. You're always hanging out in the parks, always hanging out in the stoops, always talking, you know, among doing other things. But we were, you know, you're always talking. And so when I was with these people and we we're always just, you know, we discuss spiritual things and we would, you know, get into it and they had answers for everything. Yeah. Well, strong, clear answers like, you know, and, and, and I could see, you know, I could present my own ideas and my own thoughts and hear their responses and, and as well as see them respond to all varieties of people. And I could see how consistent and how strong these ideas were, this philosophy was. So I started, you know, I will, for there was a time where I wasn't going to just jump on the Hare Krishna bandwagon, but uh, mm -hmm. it was, it was really ringing true with me. And as I read Prabhupada's books more and more, it, it did all the more so. Um, and then one night, you know, in, in one of my friend's apartment, Tamal Krishna Goswami spoke. I, I just ended up there at this, um, it was my friend's apartment. There's just a handful of us kids. Right. And, um, and he was there and he spoke. And after he, sp he spoke, I just said, that's it. You know, I, I, accept. Really <laughs> I accept, I defeated. <laughs> and uh, and walking out of there that night, it was on Clinton Street, you know, on the Lower East Side. And, and I, I, to this day, you know, whenever I walk past that block, I think about that time. Wow. You know, or I just, I walked out that door and said, okay, that, that's it. And um, I got to dedicate myself to this, you know. And, and so within, um, within a, a week or two, I, I was following all the principles and chanting 16 rounds. And then... About six months later, Gunagrahi Maharaj invited me to travel with him. And that's kind of like, okay, then you could call that joining up if you want. You know, I, I right, right. became a monk. And for the next 13 years, I was a, a book distributor. That was my main thing. You know. Wow. Amazing. And for Raghunath Prabhu, you, you know, you started uh, the, you know, shelter and, and took that whole uh, journey of, 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 of and, then it, and then you went into yoga. Tell us a little bit about your, the beginning of your journey. Well, mine was a little bit roundabout. Like I knew Kostuba's face from hanging out on those streets. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it was, was like sort of a, it was an oasis for freaks, basically. Wow. Anyone who didn't fit into a suburban high school in New Jersey and Connecticut or Westchester, we'd yeah. come to the Lower East Side and find a tribe of weirdos. And like I said, like like the Harry Krishna sort of fit in with the weirdos. Street kids fit in. You know, weird art punks fit in, bohemians, yippies, hippies, they all sort of fit in. And, but my thing was not like the violence and the drugs. My thing was clean living. And I was always into clean living. 
And so when I saw Kostuba and his crazy friends, I was a little bit more arrogant. Like, who are these guys talking about spirituality? They're violent. They take drugs. You know, I, I can't take them seriously. Yeah. I was actually very interested in spirituality, but I, I was like, okay, spirituality, but any, I'll listen to anybody but those guys. So the Harry <laughs> Krishna sort of like dropped on my list. But because Krishna consciousness is, is so powerful, and like Kostuba says, those guys from the Chromax were incredibly, I, I truly believe they were tagged by Lord Chaitanya to do great work. In great, you know, great service, and it's just like Tamal Krishna Goswami was. There's been people I feel like Lord Chaitanya Srila Prabhupada has tagged to do great service, mm. and and those guys touch people's hearts. And even though I wanted to resist, because again, I didn't sort of fit into that thing. I didn't want to clobber people. I was into very clean living. I already thought, well, I'm above those guys in my, but I couldn't accept that this must be truthful. There must be a different truth than that what they're putting out. But truthfully, because of their influence, I started going to the Krishna temple, um, uh, which was at the time an apartment um, on Greenwich Avenue in the West Village. And it happened to be right around the corner of my apartment. So me and some of my friends used to start going there. I, again, had no interest in becoming a devotee. Um, I wasn't trying to like wrestle with the philosophy. I just liked free vegetarian food, and I liked spirituality somewhere else anywhere else but the Harry Krishnas. And so I had a whole posse of friends and some ladies, and we'd go there regularly for Prashad. And we thought it was interesting. We I was vegetarian, not, right? We were, we were, I was vegetarian. That's, that's where good, there weren't, you know, that was a place you can get vegetarian food. You know, back, yeah, back then, vegetarianism was sort of not in the conversation like it is nowadays. Right. Um, it was a very peculiar thing. So here's like a religion or a spiritual path that talks about vegetarianism. I can get that. And so... There was no internet. There were no cell phones. There was, it's not the information age. If you wanted to find out books, which I was really interested in, metaphysics, mysticism, spirituality, soul journeys, etc., like that, you'd have to find these peculiar bookstores. And I would do that. I would just go to these bookstores and, and just like dive into this stuff. But because I would go to the temple and wait for that prashad, I'd sit through that kirtan. You know, I didn't like I didn't like the kirtan. You know what I mean? I just sat through it, and then they'd they'd read from the Bhagavad Gita, and I'd be like, "All right, I'll listen to this class to get the food." But truthfully, by hearing that Bhagavad Gita and by listening to kirtan on a regular basis, the Bhagavad Gita starts becoming the sounding board for all other philosophies, and that's what happened. To the degree that I went to other spiritual paths, I'd have to put it, I'd throw it against the sounding board of the Bhagavad Gita. And mm. again and again, nothing held up. And to this day, I don't like to think of myself like I'm, I've painted myself into a corner. If somebody has something higher than love of God is the highest thing, I will follow them. But to mm. this day, I've never heard anything higher than that. And um, it, it intrigued me. And so after a long you know, roundabout journey, which I sort of admire Kostuba. He's like hearing, gets focused, and just, I'm in this. It took me a very roundabout way to get to this point where I was like, yes, of course, this is it. And then in 1988, which was, I think, a year after Kostuba, I went to Vrindavan. I went straight to Vrindavan, and and, and there I, I sort of got a, got a taste for holy places, the Dom, the holy name, and wanted to start living like a monk. So I ended up living in an ashram for six and a half or seven years, 
Right. And it was some of the special, most special time of my life. People talk about the ashram, like, oh, the ashram. It was crazy. It was yeah. kooky. And it was the it was the best. And I'm so yeah, for it. And people also like to criticize the Harry Krishna movement. I was saying on the sh our show the other day that probably me and Kostuba got into it. It was might have been the lowest point of the Harry Krishna movement. And even in its lowest point, it, <laughs> it saved our lives. It, right. it gave me such depth and richness and sweetness for my life and purpose. And I'm so in debt that there was an institution. How, how, maybe how off or crazy and people want to spend their whole life criticizing things. I'm yeah. so in debt that it was at least together where somehow I ended up hearing the Bhagavad Gita on a regular basis. I'm so grateful for um, Srila Prabhupada for putting together an organization, a, a, a um, uh, uh, what do you call uh, after you die? A, um, a legacy that lives right. after he dies. Incredibly grateful. And this is a, the potency and the beauty of an institution. We all know there's so many problems with institutions and dogma yeah. and churchianity and all this bull crap and the fake gurus and everything you hear people complain about. Yeah. But <laughs> there is something so beautiful about a about a, a group of people coming together on a regular basis and following some principles. And I'm so grateful that it entered into my life. Hearing your stories, uh, I, I see that the common thing is that you joined an ashram, you know, and, and you had this like kind of brahmacharya training. So, and I know you have certain, you have students and you have new people. The, the way people are joining nowadays is quite different in the way you all joined. So how do you kind of navigate that? Like you, you had a certain experience that was very deep. And so how do you give that experience to your students when, when, when in reality, there's not such uh, a, a scope for like an ashram experience per se. Like you can't just go to New York and find an ashram or, you know, anywhere around America. It's like, they're getting more and more rare. Sure. You want to say costume? Well, you know, that's a concern of ours. We, we, we realize that, you know, there, we have thousands of listeners every day and a lot of people in a lot of what we talk about, you know, probably we don't almost every day. We, I mean, not every day, but, you know, we talk about our experience, how we were trained. Yeah. Uh, so people hear about it and they become interested, you know, can I do that? So we are concerned about trying to, you know, work with the Bhakti Center or work with other places to kind of be able to, we, we want to provide people opportunities whether it's um, like a month long training or a weekend retreat or, you know, a couple months, you know, we're, we're working on that's kind of COVID kind of sidetracked some thoughts that we had that hopefully, you know, the coming year we can begin to help that grow. But I'll, so, so all we can do is individually try to help people find a, a circumstance right. that can be helpful for them. Uh, but I'll say this, and this is, this is one point that, um, I think really struck Raghunath and I, uh, you know, as we started getting the podcast going, even before it was uh, the wisdom of the sage is like, we had about, you know, 50, 60 people tuning in on zoom every morning uh, at 5. AM. And uh, we're like, Whoa, you know, uh, this is awesome. interesting. You know, yeah. This, this many people want to wake up early and hear Bhagavatam. Cause that's all we're doing is reading Bhagavatam. Yeah. And um, we could see the sincerity of the people. And that it wasn't, uh, it wasn't like, you know, I, I think commonly the, you know, a Hare Krishna kind of mode, you know, was like reach people when they're quite young. 
mm. you know um these are older people these are people you know 35 40 45 years old um and they were people with life experience they're people that had, had been married and had had children and you know maybe been divorced and you know gone through ups and downs in in, in life and and got to a certain stage in life where they're like but there's got to be something more you know maybe my you know i think we all have fantasies when we're young about what we might be or what we might do and then you know majority of people end up getting married having kids working to make money and trying to survive and and uh and dealing with the the pleasures and the pains uh, of that kind of life and 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 if there's something in someone saying okay that's fine you know but i there's got to be more meaning to life there's a lot of people out there like that right and and if and it seemed like you know i have this one friend uh she listens every day her name's jiva she was a friend of mine when she was in that hardcore scene when we were kids she was a wild girl you know like you know i, I knew her since she was 13 years old and we were running those streets which were wild streets at the time and she just you know intense and uh after i became a brahmachari i hadn't seen her for 30 years and uh wow. then we got we, we connected through facebook um and she told me you know i'm i've been doing yoga i'm reading bhagavad-gita i've met some devotees I, you know i want to go deeper into this so then we reconnected and and um you know in, but in between i'd been a, you know a monk and doing the bhakti center and doing yoga and all these different things and she had been you know through heroin addiction and through you know all kinds of struggles in life also having kids and, and so many things now she, when she started getting deep into bhakti and i would speak with her every week and going deeper into you know for her trying to help her go deeper into it she kind of expressed that um you know i feel like i wasted so much time and but what i could see was her but when i would speak to her and i, and I would hear her express her realizations you know through 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 practicing bhakti she was sometimes coming out of her mouth it was just like pure like bhagavatam coming it was like the prayers of some you know of some uh you know sage from the bhagavatam the sincerity mm. you know and and i i mentioned this i, I introduced her to radna swami one day and i mentioned this to him you know that she, you know she says she feels like she wasted all this time but when she speaks and the the urgency she has to practice is is like something straight up and he said you well you know the 12-step program is a very serious practice it's very real you know and um and so whether it's a 12-step program or not my point is that if we take that it's not necessarily just by living in an ashram for a long time that one becomes deeply spiritual and as a matter of fact you can live in an ashram for a long time and really be maintaining you know anarthas right um but when you take life experience real life and i this is my understanding how varnashram is meant to work you know that that you go through the life experience and if you you take the, the again the pleasures and the pains and you view it through the eyes of the shastra well then that can have a tremendously powerful effect and so we're we're watching people that are just coming you know coming in from joe rogan's show and we had never heard of bhakti before yeah. uh they live out in wyoming or some distant place you know and uh they become so sincere and so serious and they're practicing with intensity and i don't feel like in one sense in one sense certainly you know they may have missed something but in another sense you can see where they are right now is kind of where they're supposed to be right now you know like right. at whatever age they're at with a deep intense you know desire to practice and hear and chant and uh so that that combination of life experience and and shastra 
uh, is powerful. And so even if we can't give people that ashram experience, we'll give them as much as we can and let their life experience, you know, be, be their, uh, you know, kind of the substance that helps drive their desire to practice. Right. Is, is, is it when you talk about like, um, you know, the Bhagavatam is, is what you're studying. Is it, is it just the Bhagavatam you are kind of introducing to people and allowing the Bhagavatam to speak to people? Or do you, uh, or do you kind of do like a one-on-one with people to, to kind of see where they're at? Or I know, I know, I know there's like so many people that are part of it, but what's your kind of approach when it comes to uh, sharing Krishna consciousness through the wisdom of the sages? You know, I think um, the Bhagavatam is very powerful, but I think a big part of, I know for me, learning about Krishna consciousness is not just necessarily hearing the Bhagavatam. Matter of fact, I joined not knowing anything about the Gita or the Bhagavatam. <laughs> I actually joined, like put on a robe, you know, and uh, put on, cut, cut off my hair, put on the tilak without really even studying the books. Right. What is impressive, I think, for a lot of people is to see, oh, these Hare Krishna guys or these people practicing bhakti, they're different. And I think a big part of what me and Kostuba do is how we speak to each other and how we treat each other and how I, I think that has how we treat the students and how our repertoire. I know when I'm with Radhana Swami, Radhana Swami doesn't necessarily instruct me, except he completely instructs me. He right. instructs me by the way he behaves, how he reacts to loss or gain or success or failure. He'll instruct me in that way, uh, you know, instruct me on how to, he'll correct me without saying anything. So there's a lot of like inner engineering going on just by witnessing a person uh, who's very connected live in the material world. And I think that's a, like a big important thing for all of us is not just reading the Bhagavatam, but living like devotees and acting right. like devotees um, and trying to uh, apply all this stuff to life. Not that, you know, we, and I think, uh, you know, I, you know, I like hanging out with Kostuba because Kostuba and I are, we go way back from Brahmachari days. We knew each other and um, it's just nice. It's, it's nice devotee association. I think, I think that is like, can be one of the greatest teachers is just hearing devotees speak to devotees. What do you think, Kostub? Sure. <laughs> I think yeah. so too. Yeah. I mean, just hear, and we do also a question and answer day, which people right. like bring, throw in a question, you know, cause that's part of your spiritual path. You ask a question. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, when you were talking, I was, I was thinking about a question uh, like the Vaishnava culture as, as kind of taught by Srila Prabhupada. How do you kind of introduce that? Because I know people come from all kinds of different backgrounds. And so without kind of uh, an ashram, I'm going back to the ashram thing, yeah. but the ashram setting and saying, how do you introduce Vaishnava culture? Because that's such a part of yeah. being a devotee, you know? I, I think, um, of course, you can only do so much virtually. Right. But this is another big discovery that we had to, we didn't plan to launch this thing that thousands of people would be <laughs> listening to every day. It just happened. But yeah. what we did have was we had a group of people that were listening every day and it became clear to us that daily is really important, right? Daily is like how Bhakti's practiced. Yes. And so if, you know, like for instance, if say I'm at the Bhakti center or any other center and I, we come, Hey, let's create a program. 
let's create a program where we'll talk about Shastra and we'll make it in, in relevant to people and whatever. And then um, you say, okay, we're going to do it every, you know, whatever, Friday evening or something like that. And then people if come. That, if that, or yeah, like yeah. a workshop. But let's say, let's say it's weekly. Okay, let's go ahead and say it's weekly. So then people come and they start to come and they come, oh, this is great. I'm, it's really inspiring. I come every week. Oh, I couldn't come this week. Oh, I couldn't come the next week either. You know, it's a month before I'm back in there. And then I do it for, you know, seven months, but then I stop. And and by the time I come, you know, two weeks later, I've kind of forgotten what we're talking about the previous time. Mm -hmm. And it's a very slow method of learning, you know. Um, whereas if you hear every single day, well, already it's seven times more than once a week. But what to speak of the momentum that you don't lose, you know, you're building up momentum. So naturally, you know, there's a certain things that are different about what we do than a normal Bhagavatam class is one is that there's two people speaking. So there's back and forth. Right. And in others, we try to make it a little bit fun and, and a little bit, um, we, we, we try to keep, you know, to let the Shastra speak. But we also do it in such a way where we want it to be really easy to listen to. And um, and in the course of our conversations, like say something about deity worship comes up. Now that's something weird, you know, to people potentially. Yeah, we'll go ahead and share our own experiences. What, how we, how we felt about it when we were first introduced to it, uh, how we've seen it practice in India and the beauty of it, how it can bring a community together, how it can, how it works in our families, how it is with my wife in in my apartment or with Raghunath's children in his home. So I think through like that daily conversation, it, it really gives you a lot of opportunity to kind of flesh out these kind of cultural aspects. Now, maybe we can't help people live them if they're far away from us, but they can hear about them and, and uh, get a, a, a broader perspective of it than they might get if they just read it in the book. Mm. Right. So we your example, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. We do go have, ahead. We do have a, a, a couple different demographics that listen. Some are already opted in like, yeah, cool. I worship a deity for sure. Yeah, I'm really into yoga. I trust whatever you guys say for sure. And then there's some people like might have heard me on Joe Rogan or maybe they came to a handstand workshop, like the things I said in between, and then they'll go on to the podcast. And so there, because I deal, I deal when I teach yoga, I deal with people who basically want to know how to do up dog. And my job is to create a bridge from up dog to Harry Bo. You know what I mean? And what is that bridge? And so sometimes you have to be very, very delicate in how you explain, you know, Bhakti. You have to be very delicate. So, and Kostuba is very expert at, the, at, at that as well because it can be very isolating. The Krishna consciousness movement can isolate people and build a house that only a few people can live in. And who needs that? Right. So why not? So it, this Bhagavatam class may not be for everyone, Wisdom of the Sages, because we do it in a very broad way and we try to be very delicate in how we ex explain things. Say something like deities, deity worship. You have to go into it with like for a lot of people, including myself, that's a weird thing. It's completely weird. These guys are. I, I always tell the funny story that I first came to the temple and the temple president in New York sat me down at his in his office and i was like okay he's normal he's cool he's got hair you know and he had twin and he had children no one else had children so that was uh bhakta rupa prabhu so he had these two young twin twins and i'm sitting at his desk and he has like you know picture frames on his desk i was like oh that's normal he has kids he has picture frames and so i've been i'm become really casual because i am sort of casual and i picked up the picture frames expecting to see pictures of his kids and i see pictures of rodin govinda now as a devotee, you're like, oh, how normal. 
as a non-devotee, I'm like, ah! And like, this is like the craziest thing I've ever seen. He's got pictures of those dolls. He's got pictures of those dolls and that's what he's ever, I can't believe that. And so it was like the most foreign thing. So I, I like to like talk to people like they are me also who thinks is this. And then we have this next phase where you cross the threshold where you think, yeah, yeah. Not only do I think it's normal, I dress those dolls on a normal, on a regular basis. Right. I offer my food to those dolls. I see that doll as an act, as Krishna himself, as an access point to another realm, as my Lord of my heart. So we, right. it's a very sort of tall order. We, uh, we're juggling a lot of balls when you're, when you're teaching a class to so many different types of people. And so it, it is very sort of, we keep it very lighthearted. It's definitely not a Bhagavatam class for everybody. It's very, um, I don't know, unorthodox, but it's also Kali Yuga. You know what I mean? And people are sort of like listening to the Bhagavatam in bed or half asleep sometimes or waking up early or drinking coffee or on a jogging machine, whatever it is. Right. And I think that's the beauty of it, to be honest. Like you can, you have all kinds of listeners and you're able to relate with they're able to relate with you both in a, in a, in a deep way. Um, how do you navigate, like, maybe if some, you know, there's some weird stories in the Bhagavatam or controversial things in the Bhagavatam. How do you navigate uh, those kind of things when you're sharing it? Do you, like, like how has your approach evolved in, like, I, I, I know you were in the beginning just like you were going to go through the whole Bhagavatam, but now it's, it could be thematic or it could be uh, you pick sections. So tell us a little bit about that. Actually, we're still we've still read every we we got up to the fourth canto last year. Okay. Um, and then when we started a new, uh, uh, not last year, but the year before last. But so when we started on January first last year, we started again at the front because that's when we released it as an official podcast and all that. I see. Okay. We said let's go back to the first canto. So in twenty twenty, we we did the first and second canto. And we read every single verse. Um, and then we did a um like a survey of our listeners to try to feel out what oh, that's know, a good idea. ways that we could pr improve or see you know, and so on. So what we're going to do now, it, it, we actually haven't started because this, this uh, past, this past week we've been recapping the first and second canto. So tomorrow we'll start the third canto and we want, what we'll do is we're still going to go through it um, sequentially, but we will summarize certain areas, you know, because right. you can spend like, you can spend four, five chapters, you know, is the battle between Hiranyaksha and uh, and Lord Bore, you know, right, right, Lord Bore, <laughs> yeah. So you know, but you know, we we will start to summarize certain things, but we, we still, you know, there's a lot of. I find the 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 most challenging thing is often um, Shri Prabhupada's language, right? Um, that he'll explain the the i think you know it says Prabhupada himself says right in that famous commentary that like um i'm sure to fail in my you know this is my um first language and um i'm sure that i will fail to present it but but understanding the urgency i hope that my readers will understand the mm. message right mm. and so that's how we 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 try to work with that that you know here was a person that was uh educated in british schools in india you know um victorian in yeah in yeah. the 1800s right and so he'll 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 throw words around like envy or fool or 
right. whatever it may be, you know, um, whether they're gender related things or, or um, you know, that what we try to do is say, we get it. It sounds like this, but try to understand it from this. Try to, you know, try to right, right. try to see that this is really what he's getting at. Mm. So that we do a lot of that, you know, to to that I think um, if we didn't, especially in today's world where any kind of buzzword can be enough for a person to say enough, you know, uh, we try to help people, you know, kind of take people by the hand and and walk them past those kind of things and 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 show, you know, not just um try to try to um just ignore it but try to show you know how try to show what he's really trying to express and, and make it clear to them through the other things that he's saying you know because you see because he says here he says this so you can understand that this is what he means we, there's there's quite a it, there's a need for that for sure i think right anything to add there raghunath prabhu um i think it's important um in a devotee's life to sort of like decipher some of the mysteries, some of the really, some of these things that seem so unbelievable. I think it's important to have devotees in your life that can explain things in a really down to earth way. And I think Kostu right. is expert at that. Don't, um, it's not you, it's you Rogu. Rogu's got the Shakti. Well, <laughs> it, 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 it's like, I think both of our specialty yeah. is dealing with people who are not devotees. Matter of fact, I think we prefer it almost because, <laughs> well, no, only because I know Radha Swami likes to do it. Sometimes yeah. I'll set up a program and I say, you want me to invite the devotees? I'll be like, no, it's okay. Because <laughs> it's only, be only because it's sometimes it, you speak a different way almost right, right. when you're not around devotees. And you have to be, you have to learn that it's like a delicate art to, to explain these like esoteric topics in a very down to earth way. So, um, yeah, that's what, truthfully, that's what my passion is. I, I know Kostuba is very expert at it. Some devotees are great, and I, they, they they even might be pure devotees, but they may not be great at explaining something <laughs> to a person who knows nothing about Krishna consciousness. <laughs> All their disciples love them and stuff like that, and they do a lot of things. So that's, I think that's where, like, uh, that's what we like to do. That's, that's yeah, that's what we do. You know, it's important, um, to realize that Raghunath and I have both, you know, I would distribute books for 13 years, which is one thing. He was in a, a hardcore band that was just like, you know, presenting Krishna consciousness under very unusual circumstances. Right. Sometimes extreme, like Sometimes, yeah, it's extremely unusual. And, um, and, uh, you, you know, so in one sense, we were both always kind of explaining Bhakti to the public, to the public. But I'll say this, that, um, after, I moved after I got married. I moved back to New York City, and and Radha Swami instructed me to go into the yoga world. And when I did that, it was it was different even than being on the street and distributing books. Um, when you actually really spend time with people and get to know people, develop friendships with people, and and explain bhakti in that context, um, I think that if if you don't do that, if you don't actually like. I think sometimes devotees think, oh, we just need to know what the next thing is and then just jump on the bandwagon and, you know, oh, yoga, that's the thing. Okay. Right, right. You know, but unless it's really about spending time with people and understanding people and, and caring about people. And, uh, you know, yeah, you have to kind of step. I think that many devotees don't, and I don't say this at all to criticize, but right. I don't think they understand how cloistered their lives are or, you know, Cloistered meaning, 
meaning that they, they don't associate closely with people that aren't devotees. Mm -hmm. They don't think of people that aren't devotees as their friends. And so it, if it, it means you can't really understand how you're being perceived and you can't necessarily really understand what is relevant to people. Mm. And so you really, there have to be some devotees that really spend time with people like that mm. and, and can understand it and can explain it and can uh, operate on that level. Uh, it, it's, and, and that's what Raghunath and I have been doing for decades, each of us. So all of that's kind of going into the podcast, I think. I mean, also, yeah. Kostub is on the streets distributing books. I'm at these punk shows dealing with a bunch of like anarchists, God haters. We are debating. Yeah, we're debating people 24 7. Right, right. Like, what we do now in the yoga community is like, it's like fishing in a bucket. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> the easiest thing. It's why, because it's like they've already opted in to like, I love yoga. Tell me right. about yoga. Like, oh my God, this is so much easier than the, the hardcore scene, which hated God. How dare you bring God into punk rock? And, you know, why you bother me? I don't want a book. Who are the, who the hell are you? And this right. is like, they've actually signed up, they've opted in, like, teach me about yoga. And, like, devotees have so much to offer. Like, Srila Prabhupada gave us, and we, we use this expression, a treasure house. Like a like a safety deposit, you know, vault of information. Devotees know more than anybody, and here it is. It's like yoga is the biggest thing in the universe, and bhakti should be the biggest thing in the universe. How are we dropping the ball? It's like you can't sell water in the desert. Come on, people! It's like this. Everybody's <laughs> signing up for it. Love it. I love it. it right? It's like, yeah. and so yeah. we have we have that information. We have the information that everybody wants to know. Otherwise, they're just, and it really is just calisthenics. Now, some devotees are really turned off by yoga because they feel like, well, Prabhupada said some strong statements and they try to hold Prabhupada to like to being a statue, like he's frozen in time. Because if you think about it, even when I was younger, when I got into yoga in 1987, yoga was taught by gurus. Yoga is not taught by gurus anymore. There's no philosophy of yogis. And so bhaktas were, they were fearful of dealing with these mayavadis. Yoga is not mayavadis. It's just nothing. There's nothing. They know nothing. There's no philosophy. They have no depth. They, they, they're anatomy teachers, basically. They're, they're, mm -hmm. they're uh, physical therapists. And, and if you can present bhakti, in what it is, which is an incredibly beautiful thing, bhakti yoga. And if you can pre and present that to a yoga community, even the biggest yoga teachers will be like, yeah, cool, that makes total sense. I love kirtan, I love prashad, cooking food as a meditation, that makes sense. Mudras, you know, um, mantras, this is great. Bhakti, love of God is the highest, see God in every being. I mean, it's the easiest thing to give to people right now. Yoga, right. everyone wants to learn about yoga. But without the devotees stepping into that, they're just going to get a very low ceiling of all that yoga has to offer. And so right. we have this incredible gift that we've been given. And it's it's a great time. And as devotees, how do we actually make advancement anyway? We got to get the mercy of the Vaishnavacharyas and then and and and, and, uh, and and get this stuff out there. It's incredible information. It's life-changing. It's paradigm-shifting. It's saved my life, truthfully. It's really saved my life. And therefore, I'm like in, in debt. And uh, and it's a great time to do it. Right now is the best time to spread the holy name. Right, Kostub? 
is, it, so. is there any other better time in history? Yeah. <laughs> There's so much to unpack of what you both just said. I want to, I, I want to dig into a little bit of it. Uh, so you were, because they were, you were talking about, um, you know, relationships with people. That's a very important part of it. How do you balance how much you are exposing someone to? Like say, for example, when you're talking to someone, uh, you know, you're not just going to, you know, you're not just going to throw them with everything. How do you kind of like gauge what you're giving? Um, I suppose there's a lot of ways I could approach that, but I'll share one thing is that um, I find that you can take all of what all of bhakti philosophy and culture or Bhagavatam or what Prabhupada gave us, whatever you want to call it. And you can divide into two. There's kind of like practical yogic information. That means like, what is the body? What is the soul? What is the mind? You know, what is the intelligence? What is the ego? What is the material energy? Um, Gyana, right? That's like Gyana. Uh, that kind of stuff is very rational. It sounds very rational. If you can explain that stuff well, people are like, oh, this guy knows what he's talking about. That's really smart. That makes a lot of sense. Oh, he's got mm -hmm. just the right analogies and, and it's all clicking. I never heard anyone explain yoga like this before. This is really on point. And then there's what I would call the esoteric side. And the esoteric side is like Leela, you know, like right. Krishna Leela. You know, that that is like, oh, God is this person, right? Um, so that stuff is more difficult to approach. And if you just approach that straightforward, like it, it, straightforward, I don't want to say not like, what I mean is if you just go with that, um, it will sound irrational to people, right? It'll sound like if I say, if, if my first message is to you is that God is a person even, just that. For a lot of people, that's going to sound um, immature, childish. Uh, that's something that that's we gave up a long time ago. That kind of thing, you know. Can if you talk about God being an energy or something like that, I, I, that's something I can appreciate. Or, you know, th th they're they're not going to be so open to that. So I find that if I need to explain something esoteric, if I need to explain why how Krishna lifted Govardhan Hill, for instance, first I need to approach that person on the rational level. Right. I have to give them the background. I need to frame that. I need to say, well, within this ancient yoga tradition, you know, they understood God in three aspects. They said you can understand God, and these are all valid. You can understand God as all pervasive energy. God is everywhere. You can understand God within the heart of every living being, like God is within me. And they also had a conception of a personal God. And the great mystics and saints, you know, they they said that actually the most special connection to God and, and the most fully satisfying connection to God um, for the soul is actually that personal connection. And so what this painting is depicting here has, has to do with that. Now, if you can, if you can speak to person like that, they're thinking, okay, this person, they're, they got something deep going on here. Like, you know, <laughs> but if you just say that's God, he lifts the hill and he saves everyone, you know, then it's just like, I mean, Kostu is also very expert at, extracting some deep philosophical and very relevant truth in a story that almost sounds so fantastic and mythological too. So mm -hmm. I think it's important. And I think we have a, a repertoire of stories where we do that. And then there comes a time where 
um, this this star is it's covered on Pooja, and we're just going to tell the damn story. You know? <laughs> right. just, um, but also, if we have like one thing we love is our our training we do at the Govardhan Eco Village every year. We do a Kirtan training. I do a three hundred hour teacher training. We do a wisdom training, and they all layer on each other. And so we have a big group of people there, and it's hosted by the monks and by Radhanath Swami, which is incredibly life-changing to get a person out of their life, take them away for three and a half weeks or so, eating prashad, having kirtan, hearing the holy name. And um, yeah, it's it's just life paradigm shifting. And when you can work them in a small progressive way where they're very open and you start very simply and you build on that and build on it and build on it, after a while, the Supreme Personality of Godhead lifting Govardhan Hill with a pinky of his left hand is no big deal whatsoever. <laughs> and you have a whole culture that supports it. And you yeah. might see some picture in the airport or some book on, you know, in, in the airport or something like, yeah, okay, why not? And so it's a lot different. And I, I know for myself too, going to India when I was a young man for the first time, it gave me more understanding of why we worship Tulsi and stuff like that. I think if I just got into Bhakti in New York alone, for me, I wouldn't have gotten it. Mm. You're, you know, I, I remember like the old days of walking around Tulsi plants. If you're, people are new to this and, uh, you know, Tulsi is a sacred plant and Tulsi is considered a goddess. And we worship Tul Tulsi as a, a unique plant as among, amongst other plants, better than cucumbers, better than orange trees. It's like, <laughs> it's like, you know, they're ordinary and this is a goddess and we worship her and we bow down to her and we beg to become one of the cowherd maidens of Vrindavan. And it's sort of like if you're unfamiliar with that and, and the culture, you'll be like, this is really weird, you know. But if you have the backdrop of India where every Hindu lady has a Tulsi plant in her courtyard, yeah. then you're like, oh, wow, there's something special about this plant. I saw it all over. Oh, all their beads are made of Tulsi. Oh, they're bowing to these, this like professor came in and he's bowing to this plant. And it's just sort of like it softens you up to understand it. I never saw anybody. I never saw anybody in a monk robe, and I, you know, to see a monk robe in in New York when I was like eighteen years old, seventeen years old, it was weird. And the, but if you go to India where everybody's wearing dhotis and dhotis, you know, I mean, Mika Stuba brought up a, a group to India once, and we had one lady with us who just thought, you know, this is crazy. You guys, you know, just wearing these robes around. Like, I was like, I, I was like, I got news for you. Everybody, this is South India. Everybody yeah. wears robes. Everybody wears robes. You know who's weird? You're the weirdo here. <laughs> you are the weirdo. Stop trying to call everybody else that is different from your American culture weird. You're the weirdo. Welcome, weirdo. Now behave yourself. <laughs> remember that trip, Kostuba? Oh my god. I remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. That's Not great. Common for there to always be one challenging person. Yeah. Right. You're quite the Tulsi worshiper there, Nam, aren't you? I'm yeah, like, I love it. It's one of my it's one of my main things. That, you're inspirational. You're inspirational. Thank you. We got really um, into Tulsi this year too. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. But nice. we haven't we haven't taken it up a notch, but they're they're doing pretty good. Right. Um so Kastubabu, you were saying like we to to kind of share Krishna consciousness or bhakti, you should kind of understand and kind of associate with those who are not devotees. So how do you balance, how would someone balance that? Because this, the, to play devil's advocate, the, the yeah. philosophy says that 
you know, we should try to give up the association of non-devotees. But I know to, to share Christian consciousness, you have to associate with people. So how do you balance those things? Like, where does your own advancement or lack of advancement come in to sharing bhakti? Um, well, all I can say is the way that I've been kind of trained and, and raised, you know, I, I, I've... I've been raised to understand my practice, like not just an, an essential part of my practice, but maybe the essential part of my practice is really in sharing Krishna consciousness. Like that's my seva. It always has been. And so I just want to become as expert at my seva as I can. Mm. Right? That's what I do for Krishna. That's what I do for Guru. That's what I do for Krishna. That's uh, and And that's going to mean... Um, if that, if that, you know, I've, I feel really, um, blessed that like I have Raghunath's association now. Um, but even like say, even going back to, you know, my guru's association and, you know, really important figures, you know, um, that have lived that life of, of sharing bhakti, you know, that, that I watch people that I really admire. You know, to this day, so you know, there's Radha Swami, there's someone like an Indra Swami, you know, someone like a Vaisheshika Prabhu, you know, um, uh, someone like Rukmini Devi, or so it's diff different people that it's their life, they've made it their life, um, and with their association, you know, I've come to understand that if, if that, if in your heart, that becomes your life, um, and you, of course, you know, you take all, you know, you're careful in how you practice, then you should be able to step outside and 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 get to know people even intimately um and, and share it and if you're seeing them you know if you know this is it may sound cliche but if you're seeing them as the soul right you know if, if you're not relating to them on what you may get on a bodily or mental or material level but you're connecting with people as soul then then you know your your sadhana and your um in the in the uh, hopefully the blessings that you're receiving you will um thrive like that rather than you know wither like that mm. so Raghunath, i'm hopeful you know <laughs> yeah Raghunath Prabhu, how has your own practice played a part like how has it how has it changed now that you've gotten you know this this wisdom of the sages and like it's like it's like you're putting a spotlight on yourself every day because you're you're basically acting like a uh you know the 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 connection but to someone's uh to, to the Bhagavatam for these people. So how has it affected your own practice? That's a great question. Um uh, in the same way when I became when I got married, I had uh I married a lady that had two little boys um that I raised. And um it's one of those things when you have like people who are dependent on you. Right. You start to realize, oh man, I gotta sort of up my game here. Yeah. You know what I mean? I felt so, like that when I became a father, for sure. Yeah, for sure. When it, family life—that's the importance of like how family life is so important. Um, it makes you it makes you grow up. And so, in the same way, having a sangha that's dependent on you makes me want to up my game spiritually. And um, you can be lazy with your sadhana, especially once we're out of the ashram. We can do our own thing. Like you're free. You know what I mean? So there is an accountability. And I think as devotees, we need accountability. We need friends. We need teachers, you know, that keep us like, in my case, like the students 
They're in my community. I have to show up. I can't just not show up one day because I don't want to be there or because I stayed up too late. So it keeps me going to bed early, keeps me rising early. Now I'm now I rise super early every morning just so I can get my life on before the show starts at five. Um, so it's um, yeah, it's 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 made me upgrade my my bhakti for sure. Just and just reading Bhagavatam every day at five a.m. for an hour is like you know. Really you start powerful. hearing the Bhagavatam every day; it's going to affect you, um, and it's going to bring up some ugly parts of your life as well too. And that's part of the the cleaning of the house. You know, you move the couch and you find all these garbage under the couch. And like that's the more I'm moving the couch around, the more I'm hearing the Bhagavatam stuff comes up with me, and I realize I better tackle this. And I I, I believe that bhakti isn't necessarily meant to give us peace. It does give us some basic peace if we're living, if we're driving rec recklessly in this life. It keeps us on track. But bhakti is just sort of like calling God into, hey, stir it up, stir it up. I want to get clean now. What do I have to get out of here? And um, so the holy name has that power to sort of stir things up and place them like right in front of your face. Mm. And um, I think that another big thing is as devotees, we need a service. We need service. And so for me, it's given me a chance, to, uh, something to live for. You want to, this is your, we need a service. I don't just want to subsist in a community without a service. I want to feel like I'm contributing. And even, even people who are not devotees, they say, you know, they say, you know, you need your life's, you got to find your life's purpose. You got to get out there. But in bhakti, it's not just like, hey, I got first initiation, got second initiation, got married. What is your contribution? And we should be thinking about like, what can I contribute? So wisdom of the sages have given me a chance to contribute back to a community. And therefore it's given me some, you know, some, some beautiful reason to live or die, you know, if, if Krishna so desires. Wonderful. You, you know, I just, just, if I could add something to that, yeah, is, please. is that um, just th this, it's embarrassing for me to have to say that, um, over all these years, you know, and, and again, both Raghunath and I have been practicing for over 30 years, uh, that it really never occurred to me how essential it was to read Bhagavatam daily. <laughs> right. Like if you take the whole outreach thing out of the, you know, and set that to the side. Right. Yeah. But if you actually want to succeed as a bhakti yogi in this life, if you act, act you know, if you want to, you know, um, a, you know, reach Prayojana and, 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 you know, develop, you know, have the heart melt and, and feel deep sentiments for Radha and Krishna, then how serious are you if you're not reading Bhavatam daily, at least a half an hour daily or something like that. Right. So, yeah. and I think maybe majority, I'm almost sure majority of, you know, devotees, initiated devotees, you know, they have that set sitting on their shelf and, um, and are, are kind of, uh, you know, negligent to picking it up daily and reading. So this is, you know, this has been a blessing for both Raghunath and I that it, like he's saying, it just makes us wake up early. It makes us read Bhagavatam daily and discuss Bhagavatam daily. Um, that right there is just, that's a super, super, you know. It, it, and then you get it, to this next place, Kostu, right? Where it's sort of like, you don't just want to read the Bhagavatam daily. You got to prepare for the Bhagavatam. Yeah, so you right. want to read other books that have to do with what yeah, we're right. reading today. So yeah, it right. 
and and then you know we do an evening class sometimes i do a, sometimes i do a class called sweet baby krishna and so next thing you know you have people joining in the morning at 5 a.m then they're joining in the evening at 7 p.m and next thing you know like you have this community uh, that's talking about krishna all the time talking about krishna all day long amazing <laughs> you know also nam i um, yeah yeah I noticed that like my, my personal reason for starting the show was, and, and this goes in from least to the, to the most was the very least was, you know, in the days of shelter and touring with the band, there were a lot of devotees that got into Bhakti out throughout the world. And the show, I felt like, well, this is a podcast. We can start to like, and it's been 20 years sometimes since they got into Bhakti, a lot got first or second initiation. Some were monks, some were sort of in the periphery and sort of liked it. So this could be a chance for them to link in. And so that was one of the reasons I wanted to do the podcast. Another one was I teach yoga on a regular basis and travel and people like the class, but they don't hear it every day. So it was a chance for the students to hear it on a regular basis. But the number one reason to do it was like just for me. And so I get to hear the Bhagavatam every day. So even I, 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 in one sense, I'm the teacher of it. But in, 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 the, in the truest sense, I'm just a student of the Bhagavatam myself. I'm not, you know, if you get to know me, I'm no pundit. I'm not very learned. Uh, I'm not very wise. So I get to hear the Bhagavatam on a regular basis. And it's, it's very good for me. I think that's really important what your motivation is when you're trying to do something or make some kind of, uh, you know, outreach effort or something, what's your motivation? Is your motivation to be, you know, famous or is it to be, have, you know, followers or things, or is your motivation? I want to, I want to develop my own bhakti. I want to share what, what's blissful and what's joyful to me to other people. And I think that's really important. And that's what I'm hearing from you guys, that it was something that's really helping you personally. And and that's and and then that's over you know spilling over to all these people who you're affecting. That's really really nice. Um, I want to tell you a funny story. Someone told me um, it's not really a story, but it's like a theory of of why in the '90s, like all these, there was such a wave of people joining Krishna consciousness through like the 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 hardcore scene and all that was. They they say I mean I don't know if it's true, but it's just it's just interesting that. In the days in the seventies when people were distributing books, they they would distribute Bhagavatams and things. So the Bhagavatams would end up in people's houses, and then the children born in the house where the Bhagavatam was, like such a purified place because the Bhagavatam was there, they got some sukriti to join Krishna consciousness because they were born in the house of of either the Bhagavatam or books that were you know you know color color areas of the Bhagavatam, you know? So it's just a funny thing to think about. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's just a funny thing. Sometimes to it's true for sure. You think so? Well, you meet people that say, oh yeah, that book was always sitting around my house. You know? Yes, right, right. Odies in the 60s that dropped dead from heroin or something, or, you know, or they got into it or they met Prabhupada, they dropped dead, they took birth in the 90s or the, in, the, in the 70s rather, and then right. teenager in the 90s, right? you know. Um, is there a reason why I see a lot of new projects coming up of devotees, which is not necessarily uh, tied to a certain institution? And I know um, that could be kind of controversial, but is there a reason why there is no connection to uh, a certain institution when it comes to like Wisdom of the Sages or any other kind of new podcast or thing has that come about? Is there a reason or or uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about that, like connection with institutions. 
Mm. Um, is there? I guess Raghunath and I've been kind of working on Hard the education. institution. <laughs> yeah, no, no, we love the institution. Um, we've been kind of working on the edge of it for decades now. Raghunath's band, you know, was connected to the institution. Well, he was certainly bringing a lot of people to the institution, but that wasn't right. exactly what he was, you know. We spoke about this just the other day on the show, right? Yeah, we spoke about the benefits and the miseries of an institution. Right. And uh, I found my best work in the world of spreading the holy name was sort of when I'm on the outskirts of and not sort of like have somebody from an institution looking over my shoulder. Right. And trying to like, and the same with what we do at Super Soul Farm, you know, I think you have a have to have some type of like, I, I'm grateful because I was trained in an institution. Right. And then you have to have like a, a, a balance of how to how to give that away, you know, how to give that away. I, I don't think it was, I mean, haven't lived in an institution since, you know, 19, you know, since I was 28 years old. Mm. Um, so uh, um, in, in so many ways, we do connect people with an institution. People get initiated and stuff like that. But truthfully, to me, it's not a home run for me necessarily. Okay, you got shaved your head and you lived into an ashram. I don't think that's necessarily a win. I think if people just, oh, everybody's going to come into bhakti for different reasons, and I think, and at different places in their life, and 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 I think we just have to do what we do and let let Krishna and that soul figure it out. And bhakti is to get to a point where you th realize that Krishna is all the cause of all causes and all that is. That's like a there, that, like there's nothing in the material world that will satisfy your soul. That's a very, very deep realization. Right. And I don't even think I'm fully get that yet, but it takes a lot for a person to sort of like really on a deep level, get that. And I shouldn't expect that everybody is going to opt in for that. We can make bhakti fun because it is fun and we can make it exciting because it is exciting. We can make it mystical because it is mystical and we can share the stories because the stories are fantastic and it's joyful you know, but to expect that everybody is going to sort of like opt in to some particular institution, to me, that's not a home run. Um, uh, but there will be that anyway. Mm. Or just that whatever, if if our role is to help people go deeper into bhakti, then to whatever extent the institution serves that purpose, we're connected to the institution. Right. Right. Yeah. And so we find the institution to be very helpful for that, you know. And we find also there's a lot of people from different institutions that listen to the show. And as far as I'm concerned, fine. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. I don't yeah. care if anybody's into anything. As long as they're just like kind people, they're not offensive. Truthfully, yeah. I don't like offensive people. I don't, I, don't, I don't like people being offended to devotees. I don't like, I don't like people being offensive to other, uh, other gurus. I don't like people being offensive to non-devotees. And so as long as you're not offensive, welcome to my home. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think these are the big principles that we have to teach. Um, these real essence of Krishna consciousness is you serve devotees, you're kind to devotees. Um, if people, if you don't jive with them, then you keep, keep your distance from them, but be very, very careful in calling devotees out on a regular basis or calling out other, other spiritual paths. You're setting yourself up for a spiritual disaster. But, you know, Anam, but I, and I mentioned this to you when I saw you last in the park uh, some month ago, whatever it was. Yeah, you know, right, right. That um, you were saying like you, you, you when you introduced this question, you're saying like 
recently it seems like a lot of people are reaching out outside the boundaries of the institution or some of that. Mm. And I mentioned to you that I saw that, that this show, right, the, the late morning program, it kind of what COVID did was really interesting. And I think it's going to be very helpful, you know, that like take this show, right? If you, before COVID, if you were to walk up to almost any temple president in, you know, in North America and say, hey, I want to start a program where I'm going to kind of lead it, <laughs> right? <laughs> and um, and uh, we're going to talk about subjects. I'm going to bring on panels and we're going to talk about racism in ISKCON and we're going to talk about, you know, sexism in ISKCON and we're going to talk right. about, you know, these, they're probably going to say, uh, no, <laughs> no, I don't think we're going to do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, sure what they did, Christy, right? They jumped right through all the bureaucracy. What, Nam Rossi, yeah. The show. yeah. Right through the, and put it right on the table. Put it right it, on the table. Yeah, and I and I'm I don't even hold it against someone that would say no. I could get where they're coming from. Oh, totally, yeah, right? yeah, totally. But um, like I don't know if I can own this, you know. I, but in one sense, and I say this with respect for everyone, but in one sense, I feel like overnight, Nam Ross becomes more relevant than you know all the sannyasis and all the GBC, you know, practically, right? right? Sure. In a sense, in a sense, you know, no. like. Yeah, in a real no, definitely, yeah. definitely, because almost like uh, institutional leaders can live in a very ivory tower and not escape that. Whereas Namrasa is just bringing it, and I have to give you um, accolades. Sometimes I don't personally like to hang out dirty laundry on a thing like Facebook, truthfully, yeah. because I think they're very delicate and and and. I, as a friend, my only warning I could give to you, not that you're asking for any advice, but I'd love advice. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things you gotta be careful because we can create a platform where people will criticize and people haven't learned the art of discernment versus criticism yet. Even devotees who've been around and they'll just indulge in it and they'll create like a sinkhole in their spiritual life. And so unless you can really catch that because these in interesting things if a person's not mature they tend to go right back to their default of being sarcastic and rude and offensive and arrogant and there's yeah. something as devotees that i know i work on really hard because i was a sarcastic real I'm, am i'm sarcastic and rude and arrogant and all those things as well so if i get like sort of poked hey what do you think about that jerk and i can like dive right into that yeah. So it's, it's careful. We got to be careful not to go there. And I think a lot of those things should be discussed, but maybe on some platform where there's not like, like everybody can, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, yeah, totally. Community. Part of it has to be in a community, but I do think that you have brought this very thing where you've stepped, take one giant, you know, Vamana Dave step over like uh, over years of like a quagmire of a, like a, like a granny knot that you just can't get out and like exposed, not, not exposed, but like aired out. Deal with, deal with. About. Yeah. And, and I appreciate what you're doing. Yeah. I appreciate Thank it. I appreciate that. Sometimes I, sometimes I think like, why, why do I continue to do this? Because I just, it makes me think of like, what's the next controversial thing I can talk about to try to like get people to view or something. Again, that's, that's my, that's the, an error in my motivation. My motivation should be, how can we try to like heal? How can we try to sure. like 
talk about more relevant, you know, things that are related to people that are not discussed on a in a lecture or in a in a class or something. So it's it, I constantly have to think about what my motivation is, and and thank you for reminding me of that, uh, Raghunath Prabhu. Appreciate that. It's a balance that needs to be had for sure. I think you hit the nail on the head right there when you say it's your motivation, and if, and if you approach it not like, hey, let me. You know, commonly media searches for controversy to increase their ratings. Right. Um, but if the motive is to like, hey, there's an important thing and people are wondering and people that want to practice bhakti more deeply need to understand this more deeply. And if we don't actually, you know, dig into it, yeah. it's not going to happen. And this is, you know, this is speaking of institutions and um, and outreach and all that kind of thing. Once, you know, we've discovered more clearly than ever through this podcast right we five days a week monday through friday we read bhagavatam saturday we take people writing questions and we take questions on saturday and sunday we interview a guest so saturdays the questions that we get i think if i th you know i think it might be helpful for anyone in any center anyone trying to share you know to look at those questions look at the questions that we get because the types of questions that people are asking are the kind of thing that, you know, I could go to a Hare Krishna temple for decades and maybe never feel comfortable asking these questions. Wow. Or or maybe never get a a thoughtful answer to. So, I might yeah. Sure. I, I might get an answer that's just kind of towing a party line or something like that, but not really a deep, practical, helpful compassionate answer to you know um you know as simple as you know well I, i'm gay and i'm trying to practice this you know right I, my husband eats meat and you know wants to have sex with me and can i still practice bhakti you know can you know no one's going to raise their hand and ask that during the sunday feast class you know right um but there's just lots of that very this is where uh, you know if we want to break through and really reach broader you know numbers of people this is where it's all at you, you need a form where people can um can do that's why like for instance in the bhakti center where they had these reading groups you know yeah real important because that's where people feel comfortable really sharing their thoughts sharing their realizations sharing their questions making friends uh that really has to happen i think that that our centers don't necessarily facilitate that very well they could yeah. but they you know commonly they don't and you need and not Sorry. to put anyone down or to criticize, you know, but right. I think, and so when Raghunath was speaking earlier, like there's tons of devotees out there, actually. There's tons of, there's tons of devotees just right under the surface. And there's tons of people that are, could easily become devotees just right under the surface, but they need to feel unjudged, you know, and they need to be able to pre present their questions and have them answered well. And they're, you know, be respected and 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 uh, have some feel some affection, um, and and they're ready, you know, they're out there. But there's so many people that are out there that have walked into a temple, had a a less than ideal experience, mm. and, and um, not even a terrible experience, but just like I don't know if I can relate to this, and then left. They're ready to accept the philosophy, they're ready to accept Krishna, they're ready to accept it all, but they just don't have the sangha for it. And I think this, and, and so therefore, I think your your show has has made some real important strides. And when I said more relevant than say so many important leaders, I really mean that. And I don't mean that. When I say relevant, I mean in other words, you're 
getting to people right what you're giving them what they need. And, um, and as Ragnar saying, someone may be even very advanced and very sincere and very deep, but not understand the need. And right. so, um, but where's COVID? Cause everything went online and yeah, you, know, you just, you just, you just dive into it. And, you know, maybe if it wasn't for, were you doing the show before COVID or? It was. I used to listen to it. I appreciated it. Thank and you. I thought, man, that is a great intro to that show. <laughs> <laughs> then when, I, when you first got that sound effects machine, I was like, oh man, the sound he, He's tried. He's tried. He hasn't been able to master it yet. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> let's take a little, um, let's look at the comments and there's some questions from the viewers. I can't see the comments. I can't uh, either. Can private chat thing here. Okay. Anirud, uh, my friend Anirud, he has actually a podcast uh, called Shima Bhakti, which he does. He's from Vancouver. Over the course of having the podcast, what are some of the major things you've adopted, adapted to make your outreach more successful? Well, you want to take it? No, you take it. <laughs> okay. No, you. <laughs> Um, uh, well, uh, let me see that question again. Okay. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Of course of having the podcast, what are some of the major things you've adopted? You know, we've gone through changes without knowing it. We just, it seems like, um, Christians is revealing what to do next sometimes. So one of the important things was to take questions from the audience and spend time with that. I think it's actually our most popular day. Uh, oh, that, really? I think so. I think it's the one that we get the, the most positive responses from. How do people uh, enter questions? They can write to Wisdom of the Sages 108. Uh, oh, okay. And okay. we also have a Patreon community, online community, where people can write questions too. Right, right. Um, so that was one thing. Another thing was, and this is real important, is that you know we have um, a 12-step community. You know, fact is, is that you know, a lot of people, you know, um, have addiction issues and um or know people that have addiction issues or living with in a world of addiction issues and um those those you know we have 12 we have six 12 step meetings um or or six recover bhakti we call the bhakti recovery group we have six of those meetings a week wow. and yes yeah, that's been really effective you know in um in reaching people you know bill it, it's we we want to do a lot to build it more as a community so those are a couple of things that come to the top of my head okay. and you know beyond that even before wisdom of the sages raghunath and i were always taking people to india and you know having trainings and, and stuff like that so um as soon as things open up after covid we're really looking forward to kind of getting that going in ways that we never had before because we've got a a, a large audience out there that we didn't have before so we're looking forward to that wow very cool. Um, here's another question. Uh, sorry, covering you, Raghunath. Thanks, mm -hmm. Namaras, for doing the show. I'm an everyday other of uh, uh, Wisdom of Sages. Love hearing from Raghunath and Kasuparus about how they developed. Oh, would love to hear about how they developed uh, a broad-minded and accepting mindset. Were there certain experiences or learnings that led them to be so open and accepting? Yeah, it's for you, Raghunath. Um, I think that um, when I was coming to the temple, it was very hard for me to get it. It was a little overwhelming. And I didn't really have any friends that were into it. And Kostuba's buddies who were all a little, they were all a little crazy out there, you know. Uh, and to me, I, I couldn't really relate to them. 
yet I didn't really relate to the guys who were really into it or the brahmacharis. And then I met Satyaraj Prabhu, who was very, very like down to earth and grounded and very welcoming. And I really appreciated a normalcy. It's very normal. Now, I think the Hare Krishna movement has become a lot more normal. Like it's not as weird. It's not like you're either in or you're out. You're 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 in. You're a full Hare Krishna pure devotee, or you're blooped and you're this fallen loser who's a part-time Hare Krishna. You're a you know the biggest like um what's that word pejorative like you're a folk member. <laughs> you're a friend of Lord Krishna. Really <laughs> live up to none of the rules, but you're a folk member. I was always I felt like that was like a, such a put down. Um, but anyway, so I, I always felt like, how can we just like, how can we make this sound normal? And so one of the ways I would practice is I'll take a, a verse from the Bhagavad Gita. So we all know that verse as the embodied soul continuously passes in this life from childhood to youth to old age. I will say that a hundred times and go for a walk. And then I will say that like I'm trying to explain it to somebody else and mm -hmm. I'll use different analogies and I'll try to explain and I'll just go for a walk and try to say it again and again. How would I explain this? Well, you know, it's like you're changing bodies and like yeah. you're not the body because you're observing the body. It's like a waterfall. You don't ever grab the waterfall. You're just observing it. You're the observer. And then I'll keep it going and tease it out to a ridiculous amount that I can go back and use it in a class in a very broad way. Then I'll take something like, um, uh, you know, the one of the, the demigods and the heavenly delights and things like that. I'm like, what the hell does that mean to a person who doesn't even know what a demigod is? And then you start like having to say that again and again. Okay. There's people in this world who want to advance materially. They want something. What do we call material things? We call it stuff. How much will stuff satisfy your heart? And mm -hmm. then you get to these very basic ways that you can explain it. I like to I like to call it explain it to like a New York City street cop, like someone who has no perhaps no interest in hearing the Srimad Bhagavatam or the Bhagavad Gita. The total layman who's not interested. How could you explain it to them? I thought your mother trained you never to talk to the cops. <laughs> <laughs> Think that yourself, Ray. <laughs> you work it out in the community. The neighborhood. So anyway, yeah, that, that's one way. I, I didn't know about this fascinating uh, process. You that's a great that you had. Yeah, hey, you know, you know again, yeah. What um, what that makes me think of is sometimes, like I hear devotees say something like this. They'll say something like, "You know, it's our job to present the philosophy as it is, and then if people can accept it, great. And if they can't, then that's their problem. But this is what we do. We're not going to change it. We're not going to water it down. This is it. That's all." Okay, if that's the way you want to live, that's you can live that way. The way that I feel is it's I'm a servant. And my service is to try to help people understand this. That's my service to Guru. That's my service to Prabhupada. That's my service to Krishna. I don't want to come back to my Guru and say, you know, um, the operation was successful. I, you know, I spoke the philosophy as it is, but the patient died, <laughs> you know, I made a point, but it didn't make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. I want, you know, my, my guru trained me this. He said, you never, the disciple should never bring bad news to the guru. Right. Really? You're just assisting and, and you should come back off the field, you know, successfully, you know, 
victorious, you know? Mm -hmm. So that means I see it's my job to go the extra mile to try to figure out, you know, what are the buzzwords that's, that's, you know, and why, you know, that, that people can't handle, you know, what, what, how, what frame of reference do they need to be able to understand this, which I get, you know, my other people get what, why aren't they getting it? And what can we do to help them get it? Do we, you know, um, to me, that's, that's where the effort is. That's, that's, that's where the save is. That's where, you know, the work is. That's, that's my duty, you know? Mm. Yeah. I hear it a lot that, you know, we should just present it as it is because it's coming down through the pure, you know, uh, the, 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 the via, you're just like a, a via media to, to, you know, the pure message and everything. But what you're saying is making a lot more sense that you have to, uh, you have to kind of like approach people like where they are for them to digest it. You can't just give, you know, a, you know, an, a, like a, crazy amount of medicine to someone and expect them to be able to digest it. Yeah. You have to make it so it's a it's approachable, digestible, relatable to people. Yeah. And then, you know, it'll affect people so much so much more. So yeah, I mean that's a that's a very, very important point. I I I understand that we shouldn't change it. But at the yeah. same time we have to, you know, Prabhupada will say so many times will say never I never changed, you know, changed it at all. That's you know my glory, you know, my my, uh, I, I forget how he'd phrase it again, but you know, all I've done is mm -hmm. I presented what I've heard. But we also see, you know, it's Prabhupada's glory that he was able to explain it, it to people in ways that nobody else was able to explain it. Yeah. A and um, and and he instructed us. You know, there's so many other verses. You know, so quotes, right? You know, use your Amer tax your American brains to figure out how to, you know, yes, spend. And, sure. and it's so, so there's so many things he said like that. You know, do it in your own language. You know. Things like that. If I can quote Oscar Wilde, yes, Oscar Wilde said, "Give people truth, but make them laugh, or they will kill you." Uh, or they'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Wow, I love it too. And I really try to like. I mean, I, I, me and Kasubala, we're very jokey and have fun together. And Krishna consciousness is very fun. And I think if you present it in a fun way and you can laugh at yourself, you know, another great way to teach is. To be vulnerable enough to share your own foibles and 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 problems—that's oh, your word for the week. Foible <laughs> is my word. <laughs> my own foibles and shortcomings. What does that mean foibles? Sh Personal weaknesses, like yeah. Okay. So w if you can share your shortcomings, right, and not be like I've got it, and you know, do, how, we should, you know, and when you speak in like a third person, or we should be doing this, and we should be doing this, and you say, you know what? Here's how I struggle, you know, and this is a little humiliating this story, but I'm going <laughs> to tell you about, you know, I love to start a st like in a class. I'll say, you mind if I share something humiliating with you? And people are like, yeah, we'd love to hear something humiliating. <laughs> like, like more real, like a human to my seat, and uh, can share something humiliating about you. It gives them the opportunity to say. Oh, I, that's the game we're playing, that we're noticing our shortcomings, and it's okay that we've screwed up or we screw up on a regular basis. And he just said that. I guess I can feel that as well. Because sometimes when you're giving a class, you got to come like you're incredibly zipped up, like you've got it together. You're the Mahant. And, yes, yes. and, and the problem is I'm a conditioned soul. And it helps me to share that, not just to – not just to um, to make a point, but actually to be honest with, with the shortcomings that I have. And I think it's relatable in that, in that way. And, and it's sometimes very funny. 
You know what I mean? And when you can laugh at yourself, it allows people to also start to dig deep into their own thing. And this guy's not just coming off with this ego. This person's like really digging into himself. And it's one of the beautiful things I love about devotees. And um, if you meet devotees who are like, the, in the material world, everybody's trying to talk down. Hey, yo, and, and talk down to people and criticize. What's up, you big head? Or you know, <laughs> making fun of people. Devotees are doing the opposite. They're like taking the uh, eye by, by your mercy, Prabhu. Instead of right. like put downs, they're putting up. And right. devotees like flip sarcasm and rudeness on its back. Mm. That's a very beautiful thing to witness. Well, even beyond that, I think what you're saying, Ragnar, is not just like a side note. I think it's essential what you're saying is that, and, and I, this is also something that uh, Chaitanya Charan and I discussed. And I, I brought it up, and then he just broke it down into a formula. <laughs> you know, he's, oh, he's a genius, spiritual he's, scientist. He's, he's, just, he's a genius, and uh, you know, he, yeah, he 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 categorized it as like approaching people on horizontally or approaching people vertically. Ooh, I yeah. like, I yeah, like that. Yeah, and so so, but but right from the beginning of the show, like the first show, it was called "The Sages Are in the Pages," and Raghunath and I said, um. The first episode and we said um we're not the sages you know wisdom of the sages that's not us mm. uh the sages are in the pages of the bhagavatam and you know i i think that um also commonly devotees may feel that like okay i need to represent this lineage you know sampradaya i need to re represent it with dignity I've seen the, the great souls and how they present themselves, and I need to kind of adopt a certain persona that I am pure. And, you know, and my purity is what um, gives validity to my words, what I have to share. Mm. And you are, and, you know, obviously you are all less pure than me. <laughs> and um, so you've come to hear my message, and I will share it now. You know, and um, it, it's it's I'm not even blaming someone for thinking that way, you know, because um, uh, we, you know, we may have a gift that others don't have and that, you know, but really, I think more than ever, like just socially, if we want to understand socially, if we want to communicate with people, that horizontal approach, like in other words, if I'm some guy, I'm married, I got two kids. I got a job that I don't exactly like. I have an interest in bhakti yoga. I have one or two friends that are sort of into it, but I'm, I'm, I really want to learn more. I don't necessarily need someone posing as a pure devotee to um, help me. That's not attractive. Really. It's not. It may not even. It may even be intimidating or right. or, or um, just create some sort of social personal barrier that you know that that's just going to slow things down i need a buddy you know i need someone who's right down here with me that can say you know all that you i'm not above your world i'm in your world and the struggles that you have i have them too but i've been practicing this for 30 years and it's really been great and i'm as, i'm more enthusiastic about it now than when i began and here's how i you know here's how i live it here's here's you know that is i i think through you know again through the show maybe we we've it's become more clear to us than ever is that that level of communication really works Sue mm. hit a target here this is i think totally. one of the sad things 
you know, because Prabhupada speaks authoritatively and the disciple tends to come off imitating the, the guru. He speaks authoritatively, so I'm going to speak authoritatively. A bunch of 23-year-old, you know, sannyasis speaking like Prabhupada who have no life experience necessarily, but they're speaking strongly because guru speaks strongly. And the short, the sh the thing where I feel like the bottom fell out of all of this is we create a duplicitous culture where we publicly act one way, but yeah. privately are in complete disarray. And I have no one I can, can even confide to because I hold a public post where I have to present myself like I've got it all together and I've channeled all my rounds and I'm zip, completely zipped up and I've got my copens on tight and I've like worked <laughs> out everything. And, and I might present and I might present like I have it together. But yeah. deeply, I'm broken. And um, in our youth and our enthusiasm, we can come off very strong. But over time, if, I'm if I've created a culture like that, and we've seen this happen before, we find people very publicly, they come off like they've got it together. And then we find, oh my God, this person has all these nefarious backstory that we didn't even know about. And he couldn't live up to his vows. And he was, you know, uh, he did this other nefarious thing. And because we haven't created a culture of vulnerability where we can show, you know, Prabhu, I'm really struggling. And we, yeah. and we set up things of leaders and hierarchy and we, we forget a really, a really genuine urgency that we all need, that we struggle with controlling the senses, with controlling the mind, with living up to particular vows we might've taken in the mode of passion. Um, and, and, um, and we need help and we need to also, we need to be able to hear people share that yeah. in confidence so right. they can feel like they can. And that's the beauty of a 12 step program. You come to a circle of people because I'm depressed, I'm struggling, I'm angry, I'm addicted to drugs or alcohol or whatever it manifests. And I need There's to no be devotee there, right? Everybody's right. in the same. Yeah. Story. And, and yeah, and and I think like only I guess only I'm suffering in this world. And you sit in a circle and you realize, oh wait, these people are all suffering too. I thought I was like I thought I was the loser, and everybody else was pure devotees. We mm. need a chance to have a, a anonymous alcoholics, anonymous narcotics, anonymous sexaholics, anonymous. Meaning you go there in confidence, like Rupa Goswami taught. You share your heart so you can fully empty your cup. And on the receiving end, you shut up and listen. You shut up and listen and keep it in confidence. Not like, oh, my God, you should hear what Kostuba shared. Woo! <laughs> it's, like, and it's a big lesson because I'm a bad blabbermouth to just shut up and listen and hear and hold something in confidence and know that I can share. I can go as dark as I want. I, I have to have a community or a friend or a guru or somebody that I can really get dark with and really mm -hmm. share. I've got so that I can fully empty my cup or else what happens is we bury it somewhere yeah. and it's our little secret and secrets cause problems. I, I think yeah, what more. you're saying, right? We think that we need to present this vision of purity and pristine and that, and that will increase faith. Right. But it's a it's a very thin kind of very fragile faith that one you know? sure but that but this is a real genuine faith that like this guy's just like me 
but he's got something really working for him in his life. And that's this bhakti practice. You know, like Wisdom of the Sages is, the, I think, the only Bhagavatam class where, like, the speaker will come out and say, oh, you know, last night I just watched this thing on Netflix and uh, <laughs> about, like, how children become murderers. And um, <laughs> it wasn't good for me. <laughs> well, it's one of those things. Very often, one of the common things out of my mouth was, like, that was probably the first time that was ever done in, during a Bhagavatam class. <laughs> right. That's This is in, insanely important that we have to um, – not we have to get out of this kind of culture that we've been grown up with of of this like duplicitousness or that you know the to share Krishna consciousness you have to talk down to someone or you have to be that you have to act like this pure person and then be then people will understand and mm -hmm. then people's hearts will be changed no what you're saying is that you have to you have to think make people feel that okay this person's like me they're having the same struggles as me and and creating that 12 step program is, is amazing. I know other devotees are doing that. It gives me hope when I hear you guys say it, like someone like Jay Jagannath, who are, who are creating these kind of really safe spaces for people, devoting small groups, small groups. Yeah. yeah really um, and to, to share like their darkest, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be like that, but if it, if, if, if that can help someone, yeah. you know, empty their cup and and kind of move forward then that's like a really very very important thing and i and i urge all my listeners to to you know ponder that you know if there is something that's bothering you if there is something that you're struggling like 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 we all are share that with someone and that can really that can even save someone's life potentially yeah, you, know? you don't have so, to do it at a public forum or online. it doesn't yeah not a public forum you find a friend that you trust that you feel like who can hold something in confidence? And as listeners, we have to be able to be that, be that, uh, create that space that they can share and 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 make them feel welcome and comfortable and not like oh, I'm so above you. I'm like, or you know, uh, allow them to share. And then you'll develop really deep friendships in Krishna consciousness. Yes, but we need peers. We need we need peers that we can share with, because um, we it, it's not going to work anymore. This concept of publicly appearing one way but having a secret life yes it doesn't work it doesn't work and it's not good for us great. it's not healthy great point let's look at this uh, another question here from balaram how can balaram. we Just be vulnerable or ego comes in the way we may pretend to be humble or elevated but really we're scared of how people will judge us how can we create a culture of honesty when we're when we're deeply scared so it's like a certain vulner vulnerability that comes when you when you're saying okay we have to you know, be honest with each other and things like that. Hmm. A lot of that was sort of came out in the previous, how can we be vulnerable? I mean, I think just a little step-by-step, step, you know, it's, right. if you, yeah, you just, I was going to say find people you can be vulnerable to. You're not going to want to be vulnerable to every, you know, if it's like, I don't want to be vulnerable to a tiger. A tiger's going to eat me. I want to be protected by a tiger. You want to be right. vulnerable next to a cat, a, a house cat. Um, <laughs> I trust the house cat's not going to tear off my head. So we want right. to—we don't want to be vulnerable to everybody. Of course not. We want to find a community or a, a person or a few people that we can be vulnerable. I, I don't have a lot of people I'm vulnerable with, but I do have people. You know, Kasuba's one of them. You know, if I'm having a hard time, Kasuba's going to know about it. And, right. and it's important. We need a speed dial of devotee friends that we can turn at to. least one or two. Yeah, at least one or two. Yeah. And then we need some he heroes, people we feel like they're miles above us. You know, we need yeah. peers that we feel like are peer gurus. And then we need teachers that we feel like 
this lady or this guy, they've got it down. I'm going to them for my questions. Yeah. And especially in the Grihasta ashram, I'm not going to bring all my Grihasta questions to a sinyasi who's never right. kissed, never kissed a girl. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I want I want like Grihastas who can answer practical questions for me. Right. Great, great. Okay, well, we're at an hour and 45 minutes. This, uh, this has been really amazing. Thank you so much, Bruce, Thank for you. joining uh, the Late Morning Program. We actually have some really awesome shows coming up. I uh, just want to put in a plug here. Uh, next next is uh, Amala Harinam and a few of the young associates of Ayindra Prabhu who awesome. are going to share, share different uh, pastimes and discussion that about them. going to be so much better than ours. <laughs> no, no, it's not a competition. It's not a competition. I, I remember that after Andrew Proof passed away, I was feeling, oh, it's never going to be the same. In one sense, it never will be the same. But right. that the next time I was with Raghunath and we walked in with a group of people, and Amala Arinam was leading a kirtan there, in, you know, in in the in front of Krishna Balaram, and I said, wow, you know, Andrew's spirit is still here. Yes. Yeah, I saw uh, it was Amala was there. Um, Kirtan Premi was there, and Who's I was also like, going to be on the discussion. What is going on? These guys are like this next wave. And I remember, oh. I remember Amala when he was a baby. I remember That's his terrible. parents and stuff like that. Wow. So to see him growing and leading these kirtans is so impressive. Amazing. You're impressive too, Namras. Yeah. Oh. You and your wife lead great kirtans. I'm very impressed. I, I can't. I don't remember how to do kirtan anymore because. <laughs> uh, then, then after that is Jai Chaitanya, who is uh, yeah. who went from hip hop to uh, bhakti. He had a, he has an amazing story. Became then we're going to number one bhakti sugar in North America. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Then we're going to have Kurma Das, the cook. He's going to oh, he's the cool. man behind the recipes. Uh, and then Hari Kirtan, who lives in Mayapur, he he actually left Krishna consciousness for about uh, a number of years. So I don't know if you remember, I put up a Facebook post where it was like, should I should I try to bring people on who have left Krishna consciousness and left Bhakti and see what their experience was? Like, why did they leave and stuff? So this was kind of what came out of that. Hari, a lot of people mentioned Hari Kirtan, we should in interview him. Then there's uh, Chaitanya Mangal who is uh, from New Vrindavan. He's going to tell a little bit about his story. Then Garuda Prabhu, Shila Prabhupada's disciple, is going to talk a little bit about uh, how to navigate kind of controversial uh, topics that may come up in Shila Prabhupada's books. And then um, Keshi Mardan, who actually just bought a farm near Gitanagri uh, recently, he's going to talk about cow protection and, uh, and how he actually bought the farm 100% financed by the government on this mm -hmm. USDA loan. Uh, so he's actually a few miles away from Gitanagri. So he's going to come and talk to us. He actually lived in Gitanagri for a number of years. He still lives there working with the cows and things. So a lot of cool project, uh, you know, Very interviews cool. coming up for the late morning program. But anyway, I love that you guys came on. We have an amazing discussion and thank you so much really deeply from my heart. I, I, you guys are my heroes for sure. And uh, you're, you're doing a great job. You're doing a great job with the show. You have a vintage shelter shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> I got to get an autograph by you. Keep the keep up the good work. Your podcast is incredible, and thank you. I love it. And I've been listening to it before Wisdom of the Sages. So, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, thank you for having us. Really, thank it's you. been fun, and uh, it's been an honor. Yes, thank you. So, so um, for those who don't know, um, late morning program with Namras. Check it out on YouTube, Facebook, where you can find all popular podcasts. Wisdom of the Sages. Go check them out. Uh, you know they have their Zoom calls. You can you can get on every morning with them at five a.m. to to read Shrimad Bhagavatam and have it in a really dynamic, amazing, relatable way. Start out your day, you know, listening to that. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to come onto the Zoom call because I've I've heard a lot oh, about it. 
right. Yeah. So, okay. Thank also, you, everyone, for listening. Wherever you, get, uh, wherever you get podcasts, Apple, yeah, you podcasts, can also, um, YouTube, Spotify. Awesome. So and you have a Stitcher. Patreon as well. <laughs> Stitcher, right. Okay. Yeah. Prabhu, stay on. I'm going to I'm gonna um, turn off the live, but uh, you okay. please stay on for, for a minute. All right. Haribo, everyone. Thank you. Haribo. Thank you.